Hello, and welcome to the ADHD 365 podcast. I'm your host, Susan Booning. Can ADHD symptoms be treated by stimulating the brain while someone sleeps? The Monarch External Trigeminal Nerve Stimulation, or ETNS system, a new device recently approved by the U.S. FDA, offers that possibility. Some parents say they're ready to sign up their child for testing. Is it too soon for people managing ADHD to jump ship from their current treatment regimen? We will hear from Dr. Max Wisnitzer, an associate professor of pediatrics, neurology, and international health at Case Western Reserve University. He serves on Chad's board of directors and the editorial boards for Attention Magazine, Lancet Neurology, and the Journal of Child Neurology. He lectures around the world about various neurodevelopmental disabilities. This episode is brought to you by the International ADHD Coach Training Center. The International ADHD Coach Training Center is setting a new standard by preparing their graduates to become world-class, confident, certified ADHD life coaches so they can make a living while making a difference. To find out if you have what it takes to become an ADHD life coach in one year, go to www.iactcenter.com. Welcome, Max, and thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Lately in the news, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of chatter about the ETNS device for treating people with ADHD. The FDA has just approved this, and we know people are very interested in such a treatment that doesn't involve medication. What do you think of this advice, and what can you tell us about it? Well, this is a device that is made to stimulate the brain by first stimulating a nerve on the forehead while the child is asleep and then sending signals back to the brain ostensibly with the goal being to change or alter how areas of the brain function in a way to improve attention and reduce impulsivity and hyperactivity. This is based on previous work that's been done with brain stimulation using either electrical currents or magnetic currents, which also affect brain electricity, which have shown mixed or variable responses in terms of improving or not improving impulse control, working memory, which means how long you can retain information in your mind, and attention in general. This device, in the research, pretty elegant research that was done on a small number of children, a total group, a total study group of only 60 children, which includes the children who were treated with the real treatment and the children who were treated with the sham treatment. It showed that there was an improvement in about half of the treated children in terms of their ADHD symptoms. The improvement was a modest improvement. It was biggest in the first week of treatment with a gradual improvement in the next three weeks with a total treatment time period of four weeks. But when they stopped the treatment, there was a loss of effect, a mild loss of effect during that one week afterwards. As far as we know, with the stimulation that was being done, there was no real 
major side effect. The children did not complain of any discomfort because they actually set the current settings to the point where it would not bother the child or interfere with sleep, which is not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as t- in terms of side effects, all the, that the families complained about was some drowsiness or some fatigue, which, which raises the question whether perhaps this electrical stimulation might have caused some sort of sleep disturbance in some of the children. In other words, not letting them get as good a night's sleep as they could. And interestingly, increased appetite, which we can't really understand or why it's there. It did show some changes in brainwave activity in certain areas of the brain that we know are related to attention and impulse control. And the effect that was reported was, I say, a modest effect, not as strong as what you can get from stimulant medication, but a modest effect enough that it was definitely different than their baseline, which is what they were like before. And this was done on checklists, in other words, forms that were filled out. We basically still don't know what we can say would be a real-life effect. In other words, we treat these children, the checklists are better, uh, and obviously the other thing that we'd want to know is that's good to know from a little checklist, but how are they doing at home during the daytime? How are they doing in school? In other words, if we treated them for, for a period of three months or six months where their grades go up when they'd been down before, things of this nature. But the information that we had from the study suggests that that, that is a realistic outcome uh, if this kind of improvement is sustained. Now, in social media and in some of the news media, there was a lot of excitement about this, a lot of comments about this promising treatment and and people wondering where could they get this, where could they sign up for it, and very puzzling the number of parents who commented they'd be ready to try this on their child. And as you just mentioned, such a small study was done. Well, it's not only a small study, but... The, the results, the strength of the effect is clearly not as good as what we have with the present stimulant medications that we have. But I can understand the parental view. I mean, people are somewhat are cautious about using these medicines, especially medicines that unfortunately get bad press, that undeserved bad press uh, by, re- by reports of, uh, that are given by people and with a real lack of true understanding of the really positive effect that these medications can have for the children. But there are children who just don't respond to the medications or right. who may show a response but don't show as good a response as we would like. We don't know yet, but the possibility for this kind of treatment, if it is confirmed by other studies that are done, independent of the first study group. In other words, if other teams are able to replicate these findings and so, yes, this is a real finding, not only for four weeks, but for four months or for four years, which is clearly what we want to know. In other words, is this going to be a sustained effect with no bad effects on the brain? Mm -hmm. The medications that people use nowadays, we know that that's true, that, that the medications can be used the effect is sustained over long periods of time, over years. And as far as we know, uh, that uh, there are no negative effects on the brain. Uh, in fact, there's positive effects by the management of ADHD. So for, so th- for this intervention, they still have a way to go to give us the information. But it is promising because we're looking for new ways of intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we can only do so many iterations, so many changes, so many variations on what medications are available. 
we haven't found a new class of medicine, relatively speaking, uh, to, for treatment of ADHD. This can open up the, the parameters and can open up the opportunities that we might have a different way of approaching it, either individually, just by itself, or perhaps in combination with other treatment choices. But how much more research would have to be done on this? You need to do two things. One is you need to study the population for a longer period of time and show that it is a sustained effect, that the effect continues to occur. It's as good as it was originally reported, and it doesn't cause any unknown, as of yet, long-term side effect. I know some people were bringing up the the specter of the insulin treatments and the the electroshock treatments of the 1950s and some of those uh, you know, seeing seeing in this the possibility that it's a lot like that. Yeah, I think that that is a, that a mischaracterization. Number one is we still do electroshock. Not in the 1950s, but in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And it is a very valuable tool in the correct situation for the management of very serious mental health conditions. Uh, so that when it's done right, it's done right. But you don't continue doing electroshock every night for a period of years. Right. I mean, it's for a, a finite period of time that you do it. Here... What happens when you're going to do this stimulation? Not for four weeks. Mm-hmm. What happens when you, as I said, when you do it for four months or for four years? Is the, is the change in the brain functioning persisting? And is the change in the brain functioning going to continue to be beneficial? Could it possibly cause some injury if you could do it long-term versus short-term? That's the kind of information we need, number one. And then number two, you need larger populations, Right now, this was a very select population of children, basically in the, we'll say it in the, uh, the childhood years, or in the age range of about seven to 10 or so years. Well, uh, now, uh, will it help a broader group? What happens if you do it in children a little bit younger? What happens if you do it in children who are a bit older? What happens if you do it in adults? Mm -hmm. Will it have the same effect? Or do you need to have a brain that's still developing and therefore more receptive to to alterations and, uh, and, and impacts of this kind of electrical activity? We don't know the answers to that. Uh, what happens for the, but there's always going to be children who aren't going to let you put electrodes, uh, little, little, basically, even if it's little pieces of tape, either for it's too sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. So for that population, this is not going to be an option. Uh, for Just to give you an example, I take care of many children who have serious developmental problems. I can guarantee that they don't allow a Band-Aid to be put on their arm. They're not going to allow something to be put on their forehead of this type and to sleep with it all night. So that we can't throw away the treatments we already have, but we just have to continue to explore larger number of children that, that are evaluated and longer periods of time to see if the effect persists and if there aren't any yet unidentified side effects about which we have to be careful. Tell us a little about some of the other brain stimulation treatments, neurofeedback. Well, uh, let's, let's just start by saying that this bra- direct brain stimulation, mm-hmm. this is not the first time it's been done. This is stimulating a specific nerve 
in the brain with signals going back into the brain. Mm -hmm. But there have been other studies that have been done that have been using either direct electrical current stimulation that is thought to basically affect the brain through the skull or using magnetic fields. And for those of you who don't remember your science, electricity and magnetism are basically flip sides of the same coin. Therefore, if you do magnetic stimulation, you actually cause changes in the electrical activity of the brain. So those studies have been done, and they showed variable responses, some groups reporting some modest improvements in memory uh, and in impulse control, other groups really not seeing as much of that. Uh, but they've been, there are trends that are going on suggesting that that kind of treatment might be helpful, not only for ADHD, but for other conditions. It's being explored in a variety of conditions, a variety of mental health conditions, as well as medical problems. Longer, further away, more passive interventions is neurofeedback in which basically individuals are trained to try to alter their brainwave patterns with the idea that if we can alter the brainwave patterns, that alteration will remain uh, as a permanent condition and it will improve the functioning uh, of the individual. In this case, we're talking about ADHD features. There have been many reports of significant and massive improvements that occurred, but studies that have been done that have been more rigorously designed have not really found that kind of information to be uh, to be available. They have, that really, it's found that if you see an effect, it's a very small effect, and for the most individuals, it's not really that helpful or as helpful as it was thought to be. We also have to remember that the use of neurofeedback uh, and those kinds of strategies uh, might also influence other mental health conditions that can mimic ADHD. So we always have we have to wonder uh, if some of the improvements that have been reported in the past, especially just the anecdotal improvements it's not necessarily in studies, mm -hmm. was because we were treating something else that was affecting attention and impulse control and not actually ADHD. Oh, is there anything that I haven't asked you about? Yes. Um, the simple thing is we have proven, very powerful proven treatments for ADHD. And people always have to ask themselves the question when you're first starting out, when you're, do you want to try a modality, a treatment method with this electrical stimulation that has a modest effect on the ADHD? Or are we going to do something with proven treatments, which is with the medications that we have available to us, that can have a relatively powerful effect and can actually, in some situations, you can think of it as almost life-altering in terms of grades going from failing to A's, individuals' behaviors straighten themselves out. As one of the parents told me yesterday, it's made all my, my children turn around and showing how smart they are and how good they can perform. Do you want to turn your back on treatments where we have good data, good data. The preponderance the, of evidence. The preponderance of evidence <laughs> in thousands of individuals. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are potential side effects, but we're not talking about continuing to give a medicine that causes side effects. We're talking about using it uh, when met, when uh, in a way when individuals where the side effects aren't there. Obviously, if there's side effects that interfere with functioning, then you've got to explore other options. Absolutely. So do you want to give that up based on our study on 60 children? And that's the whole idea. The public has to ask themselves, do they really want to do that? Or do we say to ourselves, if this electrical stimulation uh, work continues to show promise and continues to show its, its applicability, its use. We have it as part of our armamentarium, part of our 
uh, our, our treatment choices that we have, and we need to develop an algorithm or an approach where we can then decide which treatment choice is best for the individual child. Thank you very much, Dr. Wisnitzer, for coming in to speak with us today. It's been wonderful to have you here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. The International ADHD Coach Training Center is setting a new standard by preparing their graduates to become world-class, confident, certified ADHD life coaches so they can make a living while making a difference. To find out if you have what it takes to become an ADHD life coach in one year, go to www.iactcenter.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD 365. Stay up to date on the latest ADHD information by connecting to Chad's social media page at chad.org social. That will link you to all of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.